Welcome to the Financial Independence Factor Podcast, where we talk about strategies to save and invest money, optimize your finances, and reach financial independence. Here's your host, Mo, from Momentum Finance. Today, we're going to be talking about Liquid, a graphic designer from Vancouver, Canada, who decided he wants to pursue financial freedom at the age of 21. His goal was to reach that goal by the age of 35. And not only did he accomplish that, he in fact knocked it out of the park, reaching financial freedom two years ahead of schedule at only 33 years old with a net worth of $1.8 million. We had a great conversation with Liquid uh, covering different interesting topics, including the steps it took to reach FI, uh, various investment tools he used, including stock market investing, real estate, cryptocurrency, and options trading, among others, as well as the lessons he learned along the way. Given the length of this conversation, it will be covered in two separate episodes. So be sure to uh, subscribe to our channel and follow us uh, to get notified once the other episode is also released. Enjoy. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, Momentum Channel. My name is Mo, and in this video, I'm super excited to be welcoming a wonderful guest, um, his name is Liquid, and why don't we pass it over to Liquid to introduce himself? Oh, hi, Mo. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Liquid. I'm basically uh, a graphic designer from Vancouver, BC. I'm 34 years old, and uh, in my spare time, I like to uh, talk about personal finance. I write about it on my blog, and I'm really into investing in particular. You mentioned your blog, Liquid. Uh, I believe uh, it's called Freedom 35. Tell us a little bit about that, why that name, and what role it has played in your own financial independence journey. Well, I started that blog like 12 or 13 years ago, and I just wanted to keep track of my finances because what you track will grow, right? Because what you measure, you can then keep track of. And then over time, as you start seeing it get bigger and bigger, it kind of gives you more motivation to keep going. So I learned about that and I started to make money because that's when my career started as a graphic designer. And I started to put money in the stock market and I wanted to find an outlet or like a forum or a place online where I can uh, basically just journal my experience, write it down, see what comes to mind. And once I put something down and I track it, what helps me in the future is looking back on what I did and then reviewing that going through it and figuring out, okay, what worked and then what didn't work, throw away what didn't work and then keep what works and then keep experimenting with new things. So over time, the blog has uh, grown to a larger audience and I really enjoy talking to other people who are interested in personal finance as well. And that information and all that collaboration has helped me grow um, as an investor as well. So now it's... uh, the idea was to become financially independent by 35. So that's the name uh, behind the blog. And it looks like uh, I will be able to hit that this year. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I've uh, been reading through uh, your blog. Uh, admittedly, I kind of stumbled upon your blog post, I think, recently through some of uh, the comments that you've made on other uh, blogs that I follow. And that's mm-hmm. how I got to know about your, your blog. And uh, I noticed that you do share your Um, kind of journey very transparently. And I think that's one of the reasons perhaps why you uh, kind of do not show your face. But at the same time, as a reader, I do really appreciate it because I get to see exactly um, behind the scenes where you started, how far you've come, where you're headed, what are your gaps and how you're going to approach that in terms of strategy. Mm -hmm, Yeah, I definitely like to share what I've learned. And in the beginning, I sort of was making that choice 
should I, uh, you know, just use myself and be uh, like show my face and then everybody knows me. But if I did that, I wouldn't be able to share like all my financial statements and tax documents and tra transactions. Um, so what I did instead was choose to go the anonymous route, but then be completely transparent and say like, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And here's what worked for me before. So that's why I'm doing it. And I think a lot of people enjoy this kind of uh, method as well. Totally. It's very unique in that sense. Um, in the blog, in the, your blog as well, you talk about your winning strategy, mm -hmm. uh, which you share about studying what rich people have successfully been doing for generations and following their footsteps, which is um, kind of interesting. This morning I was watching uh, some snippets from uh, Jim Rohn, one of Jim Rohn's uh, videos in the past whereby he talks oh, about awesome. that. He's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And he talks about that concept in terms of if you want to grow, you uh, it's all about uh, learning about that. And why why do you have to maybe start from scratch? You can always learn from other people's successes, but also other people's failures. Mm -hmm. He talks about how funny it's usually people don't put up a seminar and talk about, hey, here are my failures. But you can still try to observe, you can listen, you can uh, talk to people, uh, which uh, what strategy that you've mentioned in your blog definitely resonated with me in that sense. Tell us a little bit more about that and why you have relied on this strategy as one of your main doctrines in terms of reaching um, that wealth creation uh, approach and journey. Right. Well, primarily, it uh, just comes really naturally for me through experimentation. I look at what I need to do to get to where I want to be. And I've tried different methods, uh, like reading books, taking courses, self-learning, and all of those things do help. Um, but one of the things that I've realized that worked really well for me is to just look at what other people who are already at where I want to be have done. And, uh, you know, so I think it's important to find those role models and mentors. It, it doesn't matter really what uh, specific field you want to pursue. Uh, like whether it's for health benefits or financial or for investing or a particular skill, you want to be like a really good like car mechanic, what have you. If you find other people that are the best at what they do in those particular fields, uh, then you can basically mimic their strategies, follow their mental models, think like they do, and then that will have a huge impact on how you can adapt your personal habits to also go in the same direction and success always leaves clues. So even if you don't get 100% of what they're saying, um, and of course, some of them are doing things like uh, billionaire investors are throwing money at hedge funds and all of that stuff. We can't do those things as retail investors, but we can understand the mentality behind why they're doing it. And we can apply some of those lessons to our own lives. And I found that's been tremendously helpful for me to uh, just grow my wealth exponentially by using that method. Definitely. Liquid, you, you've shared some of your role models throughout your contents and posts. Do you mind sharing with us who are some of those uh, role models or um, individuals or uh, public figures that perhaps you've learned from um, that uh, it would be of interest to our, uh, our listeners as well? Yeah, of course. Um, I really like what Naval says about just uh, life and philosophy in general. I, I think uh, he's a really uh, cool person to uh, get ideas from those kind of perspectives. Uh, of course, in the financial uh, world, uh, I really like Warren Buffett. He has tons of knowledge and wisdom to give out. Um, Peter Lynch is another uh, hedge fund manager that I think is like super cool. Uh, he's really knowledgeable. Um, 
Also, Bill Ackman, uh, he's doing activist investing, and that's a different type of uh, discipline. But it's still uh, really nice to see how he thinks about businesses because all of these uh, major investment gurus, they have to disclose their uh, F-13 uh, to see that what they buy and also to tell everybody their uh, transparent positions. So because they do that, you kind of know what they're investing in. And I sometimes look at those to help me decide what the next move is. Definitely. That, that sounds like a great way of educating yourself and knowing uh, what other investors are out doing out there and perhaps reflecting on that and coming and trying to think of what are some of the reasons behind it. Exactly. You, you seem to be also a big fan of uh, leverage investing. Maybe tell us a little mm-hmm. bit more about that. Yep. Uh, leverage investing is a, a section of leverage that allows you to basically be more efficient at what you do. So when you think about opening up a store or starting a business and you hire people, you're essentially leveraging uh, human labor because you're, let's say you hire 10 people and then you pay them uh, maybe $100, but they produce like $200 worth of uh, products or services. And then so that difference is what you make. So that's leveraging uh, labor. You can also uh, leverage technology. But leveraging money is uh, what I primarily do, which is just using other people's money to invest. And I find um, this works really well. So I talk about it on my uh, YouTube channel sometimes because it's nice to have those visual graphs and charts to see uh, what I'm talking about. But the basic idea is you earn more money through uh, investing than the interest rate that you pay on the borrowed money that you use to go invest. So when we think about buying a a home, this is basically leveraged investing where maybe you do like a 20% down payment. So you borrow 80% of the value of the home from the bank and you pay, uh, you know, like 2% or whatever the interest rate is now, which is really low. But then over time, what happens is uh, either you have the home rented out, which you can make income from, or you live in it And then so that's another form of value for you. Plus, you might get price appreciation of the home. So in the end, you end up with more money than if you had, if you just saved up 100% of the money and then bought a home that way. It's the same thing with the stock market. Um, If you can earn comfortably and confidently, let's say 6 or 8% a year, and uh, you can borrow at 2%, then over 10, 20 years, if you continue to leverage and invest consistently, that difference is going to be huge. And then the longer you stay invested with your leverage, uh, the bigger that gap is going to be between what you pay and what you earn. And that's how you can accumulate a ton of wealth. You brought up the example of uh, leverage investing, utilizing that in the stock market, which I believe that's one of the key ways that you you pursue uh, through uh, one of the key brokers here. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your approach? Do you are you more of a fan of a passive investing through index funds and ETFs, or more of a uh, active investing whereby you redo the research and pick the stocks? And why you've picked mm-hmm. um, that specific approach? Right. Um, I guess I do a little bit of both. Uh, I don't really have a definition of specifically like passive or active. So I guess what I'm doing is. 
picking specific companies or investments that I think will outperform the market, um, but then I'm sticking to it and I'm not selling. So instead of trying to buy high and, uh, or sorry, trying to buy low and selling high, I'm just buying when I think it's a good company and I buy more if I think it's at a discount. So some of the uh, markers I look for when it comes to buying stocks is I want to know that it's a dominant player in the market. Um, it has really strong pricing power. That way it can protect itself against inflation. It's a uh, free cash flow generative and it has large barriers to entry. Um, it also needs to have high return on capital for me to be interested in it. And of course, the usual things like uh, growing revenues, growing earnings, and uh, it'd be a bonus if it also had uh, growing dividends. So if it has all of these things, I would take a look at it and I would compare it to other companies and its competitors. Uh, even if the stock is expensive, uh, I would probably still buy it. But if uh, it goes down, like right now, we're uh, almost at a uh, market correction, then I would just buy more. And if we see a bear market, then I would buy even more. And I would use uh, margin debt or use leverage to buy it so that eventually when we have another bull market, all of that extra money that I put into the market is going to work out very well. And Liquid, when you use uh, that um, margin accounts to borrow money to buy into those stocks, um, does it matter whether uh, for you um, those uh, companies or those companies perhaps necessarily pay a dividend or no, as long as um, you know they do not indicate that they would never pay dividend, that's sufficient enough for you to buy into those and hopefully then be able to actually deduct the um, cost of borrowing as a tax deductible advantage? Yeah, I think um, yeah. one of the advantages to leveraging is the uh, tax advantage of you can write off the interest on it. Um, as long as you expect reasonably expect to have a return on it. So whether it's through dividends or interest, uh, like through uh, rates or mix or uh, capital appreciation, uh, you can uh, invest it in any of those uh, assets that produce those kinds of incomes or capital gains. Uh, and it's good. So I don't have a particular leaning towards whether a company pays dividends or not, because I'm more concerned about the total returns. So if a company is reinvesting all of its money back into itself and it's growing at 20 or 30% a year, I would prefer it do that than pay me a dividend. Because uh, right now I don't really need the dividend. And if I need extra money, I can just sell a little bit of that stock and get some capital gains that way. And that's another way to uh, live off the income of an investment portfolio. That's fantastic. I believe aside from the stock market, you have exposure to other forms of investing. I believe real estate is one of those. And I think some of your contents, you talked about uh, the different uh, properties that you have. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Perhaps if you're comfortable sharing here on the on the on this podcast as well, how many uh, properties you have and why you started investing in the real estate market. Mm -hmm. Well, real estate has been uh, a really popular pastime to talk about for Canadians for a long time. And so I started investing in real estate in 2009. And that was really just by chance because I was moving out of my parents' home. And I was thinking, should I rent or should I buy? I did the math and uh, buying definitely made a lot more sense. So that's what I did. I bought my first uh, apartment and I lived in it. And some people say, uh, you know, your 
the property that you buy, you can think of it as a home. Uh, other people think of it as an investment. I just think of it as both. Like, why not have it be someplace that you want to live in, but also can make you money through capital appreciation uh, over time? And then uh, after I lived in it for some years, I decided to invest in a rental property. Um, and I bought another condo. So that's my second place. And I rented that out. And just two years ago, I bought a house with my wife. So this is our third property now. So what we've done is moved into our house and uh, rented out those two other apartments. And we also have a basement that uh, like in our house that we're renting out as well. So we have three doors uh, currently and it is an expensive city. Uh, any of the large major cities, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, but at the same time, it, there's also a lot of opportunities, um, financial opportunities to make gains because it's an expensive place to live because people are uh, there's high demand for people to come here. Uh, they can bid up the rent then they can bid up the prices so if you can get your foot in the door and you just hold a property for 10 or 20 years, I think you will do very well, um, even if it might be expensive in the beginning when you get in. But over time, what's going to happen is as you accumulate more and more assets, the debt is going to go down. Uh, one, because you're just paying down the mortgage naturally. But another reason is because inflation is going to wipe away that debt burden over time as well. It's going to slowly chip away at it. So if inflation is 3% and you have a mortgage that's a million dollars, then that's $30,000 of value that you're going to get every year um, just because of inflation. So that is a benefit to you, but a detriment to the bank or whoever lends you the money because they're losing money on that asset, which is the loan that they gave you. Uh, so for example, our rent, uh, when we rented the places like a couple years ago, the total was like $5,000, but now it's like 5,500 just because we're able to raise the rent, um, not to the same people because we have different tenants coming in. So somebody moved out and when new tenants move in, we increase the rent. And the reason we did that is just because that's what the market can hold at that time. So you, you can look at it in two perspectives. One is this is a really expensive city. I can't afford to live here. I'm going to go somewhere else. Another perspective is this is an expensive city. I'm going to find a way to make money here because that's where all the money is going. And that's why it's expensive. Because when you put money towards something, whether it's a program, a location, uh, some kind of endeavor, some business, you're going to inflate the prices of whatever it is that's going to be there. And if you want to work in that kind of environment, then there's a lot of opportunities to uh, also produce a lot of prosperity. Have you considered short-term rentals as well in the real estate? Or that's not been an approach uh, that you're um, interested in? Yeah, it's it's all about time, I guess. I would certainly do it if I had more time. But right now, um, I have other uh, opportunities that kind of take up my uh, time and effort. So it's not something that I'm considering right now, but maybe in the future. <laughs> totally. That's fantastic. Um, that's amazing. I, I believe, uh, Liquid, in one of your recent post, I believe it was a couple of months ago, you mm -hmm. talked about uh, based on your um, kind of calculations and how very your, your assets are in terms of your debt and in terms of your net worth, uh, based on your calculation, you had reached that uh, kind of 
financial independence level. Although yes. I think initially you wanted to reach there by 35, I think you reached there two years ahead of the schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, congratulations on that. That's, I think, Thank you. That's such an excite, exciting uh, milestone that you've accomplished. Um, how, how are uh, things that you, now that you've reached that financial independence, have you made any change to the way that um, you, know, you operate in terms of your work hours or things like that? Or are you still pursuing even uh, the, the work that you were doing before, even though that you've already hit that kind of milestone? Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, things are going really well. I would recommend reaching financial independence for anyone. I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, since I've reached FI uh, a couple of years ago, I've been still working just because uh, I'm planning out what I'm going to do after I work. So uh, this year uh, in the summer, I'm going to quit my job and then retire fully. Uh, so I have some projects that I work, want to work on. Um, I have some reading I have to catch up on and all of that stuff. So that'll be pretty exciting. And uh, so over the last couple of years, I'm uh, just talking with my wife about what we want to do, um, the different things that we want to take on and how we plan to, because uh, without work, then you kind of have that one of your income uh, that's coming in, it's going to be gone. But luckily, we have multiple income streams, so we can rely on our investments to live off of that uh, for probably indefinitely. But uh, we do have plans in the future if one of us wants to work part-time or anything like that, totally open to that. That's so exciting. And kudos to you uh, for being able to hit that goal at such a young age. And congrats to you and your wife. That's exciting. The other question that I have for you is uh, around options trading. Um, mm-hmm. I know we have some uh, viewers and or some of our followers that are interested in that topic. Uh, for me, I haven't really actively pursued this, but I'm doing some reading on it. And you have some great contents even on YouTube on your YouTube channel that you talk about that. So I do encourage our uh, viewers and our listeners to go and check it out. Yes, I think it's Freedom Thirty Five. From that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's the same name as uh, the blog, um, Freedom Thirty Five blog, and. Yeah, I just talk about uh, what I'm doing, basically my strategies. Um, more frequently, I'm talking about options. That's what people seem to enjoy. And of course, uh, if for, for those who don't know, options are a stock market derivative, and you can use it to leverage the movements in the underlying stocks. So I, I started doing options about six or seven years ago, but I didn't uh, do it consistently until recently. One reason is because options is not like stocks or other passive investments where you can just buy it and forget it. Uh, because options, uh, when you set and when you buy or sell a contract, there is an expiration date. So once it expires, you have to be able to uh, either do another option or change your strategy. So it does require some work, which is why you know if, if somebody doesn't have the time to constantly look at their work, then Uh, or their portfolio, then it's not going to uh, be a very good fit. The other thing is you really have to understand the stock market very well in order to um, have a good understanding of what option is. Uh, Otherwise, it's very risky because that's why it is a derivative. Um, So basically, it's like you have to learn basic arithmetic before you can try to take on calculus, right? Because uh, otherwise, you're just getting... Uh, way too uh, ahead of yourself. But otherwise, it's really fun. Um, it, it basically 
combines insurance policies with risk management. And it's a way that you can uh, make a relatively uh, passive, because you don't need to watch it all the time, um, and relatively consistent uh, money income over time. And you can do that if you use a conservative strategy. And there are many strategies out there. So it's really fun once you get into it. And how did you learn more about that liquid? Did did you um, learn more through books or by watching other people doing it or trial and error? Trial and error? Um, it's mostly by uh, watching some tutorials online and then uh, just trying it myself. I think that's the best way to learn is trial and error and through experimentation because you can learn from other people and from books, but at the end of the day, personal experience trumps everything. And I find that's the case with personal finance or with like nutrition or health or anything. Um, it's like the doctor can give you advice and your financial advisor can mm -hmm. give you uh, some suggestions. But at the end of the day, you have to know yourself. You have to know what you want to do, what works for you and what doesn't. Uh, and so when I started options, it was a way for me to test the waters, to experiment. Here's this new thing. Let's see if it works for me. And uh, what I figured out like before when I uh, learned about it seven years ago is it is fun. I can do it. One problem uh, was that I didn't have the time. And then the second problem was I didn't have enough of a uh, portfolio to do it because you need a fairly large um, portfolio to start. I would say your nest egg, if it's under $100,000, it may not be worth the time for you to do options, but if you have a six-figure portfolio already, then that might be something to look at uh, to, to do options. If you want to make like uh, five or six thousand uh, dollar extra income a year, you can make more, but I, I would keep it pretty conservative if you're just starting out. And of course, the larger the portfolio, the more uh, income you can make from options. In one of the videos that I was watching from you, you talk about the. I believe your approach to covered call and how you mm -hmm. go about it. And um, as I was watching that video, um, so two things really stood out for me. One is the fact that because you wanted to make sure, and correct me if I'm totally out to lunch on this one, but because you want to make sure it's a covered call, uh, it, you want to make sure that you have the underlying um, investments um, to, 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 to the right amount of quantity, at least. I believe each contract is at least, uh, is actually a hundred uh, equivalent to 100 different yes. shares. So that's why in your cases, you had probably multi-hundred shares. So in this case, if it's uh, the option is uh, exercise, at least you have um, the available stock. So you're not going to panic necessarily that uh, you're losing out. And because your approach is also longer term, um, rather than, let's say, uh, trimming those stocks at certain prices, you are uh, kind of exercising and kind of issuing an option, um, the call option, I believe, whereby you can sell that, and yes. if the stock hits that level, you're still managed to possibly sell it at high, to your point at a higher level than just purely sell it at this time. And if not, you still earn some uh, extra cash on the side through that mm -hmm. approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's You explained perfectly what a call option is. I use it as a way to trim my positions if one of my holdings gets too big. And the reason I don't just sell it is because if I... Uh, sell a covered call on it using this option strategy, then I'm guaranteed to sell it for more than what the market is going to pay me for today. Um, that's one benefit. The other benefit is I'm going to make a premium uh, for whoever uh, buys this contract that I'm selling. So 
that video, I, I think the one you watched, I, I did a call option for Canadian Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually did get called away because, you know, oil price is so high these days. So I'm okay with that because I still have a few hundred shares and I'm going to keep those and ride those up if it continues to go up. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that uh, we're going to see lower oil prices later and we're going to see the stock price of all the energy companies fall a bit. And when it does, then I'm going to buy it at a lower price than what I sold it at. That's fantastic. Uh, that's uh, super fantastic. I know, uh, Liquid, you talked uh, about potentially getting into full FI and retirement, early retirement uh, in a couple of months. Have mm-hmm. you started already thinking about some of your retirement uh, drawdown strategies um, to pay for your annual expenses and how are you going to approach that? Yeah, um, I have about uh, 30 years uh, before I can start taking government pensions. So what I want to do is use my RRSP withdrawals first. Those will be uh, taxable income. So I don't want it to take too much RSP withdrawals while I'm getting government pensions because that's uh, a lot of taxable income. So from now until maybe age 50, uh, 15 years away, I'm going to uh, withdraw mainly from my RSP, some TFSA, and then a lot of it uh, will also come from my uh, non-registered or margin account. And I like that one because you can actually control how much taxes that you pay depending on what kind of income you make. So eligible dividends, if you buy, uh, say like a Suncor or a Bell Canada or TELUS, those will be taxed very efficiently so that if you make like $60,000 or less, you don't really pay any uh, income tax on that. Uh, But capital gains, you do have to pay uh, more. uh, And then interest, you also have to pay uh, higher taxes as well. So around age 50, I'm going to uh, start withdrawing more from my TFSA and more from my non-registered. And then at age 60, I'll take uh, CPP. And then 65, I'm going to take old age security and uh, just keep doing that until forever, I guess. I love to hear all this, uh, you know, planning that you've done. Uh, it's like, it's, it seems as if like you have a roadmap um, and you've already um, kind of uh, planned uh, your life for many, many years to come. Uh, how do you learn about uh, these concepts like taxation or mm-hmm. um, the right uh, level of like, you know, draw, uh, drawdown from which account? Right. Well, I would say it's partly based on reading The other part is just genuine curiosity about what is the best uh, plan of attack from where I am right now. So uh, I would say one of the most fundamental things about finances is not actually about the money, but it's more about knowing who you are. Uh, I think a Greek philosopher said, uh, self-knowledge is the beginning of all knowledge. And I really like that quote because it applies to everything in that you need to know yourself in order to know where you can go to, in order to know where you want to be, where you want to go to. And from that, you can sort of lay out a path. And that path, although it's going to change over time, but it's the sort of a guiding star to tell you which direction to go. And you can learn things based on where you want to go. So I think anything can be learned, um, but not anything can be taught. So as long as you have a, a genuine passion and you're serious about what it is that you want to do, 
uh, you'll definitely find a way to do it. And for the drawdown strategy and learning about taxes, it's the same thing. Because I'm thinking right now, uh, you know, I, like I'm living in the present, but at some time I have to deal with myself in the future. And wouldn't it be really nice if that future me had a really uh, good life and looked back and thanked the present me for, you know, helping him out? Uh, so I think that is a uh, kind of the motivation for me to go out and learn about these things. A lot of the information is on uh, the Canadian uh, government website, uh, but also other bloggers uh, talk about them, uh, like Mark Seed from My Own Advisor, um, Bob from Talkhand. They all have some kind of idea about what they want to do for their withdrawal plan. And I just look through them and I say like, okay, I can apply that to myself. Um, maybe this one uh, I don't really agree with. Uh, and then just kind of use what I've learned from other places to mix and match and get an overall picture of what I want to do. Because the idea is I want to pay the least amount of tax in retirement. And the way to do that is to really just spread out your taxable income as evenly as possible. So what that means is instead of having a taxable income of 60000 this year, but then once I'm like 60, that's going to drop down to 40000 is I want to just make sure that uh, I'm going to have an average of maybe 50000 a year, and that's going to stay continuous uh, throughout the rest of my life. And of course, that's going to change. Tax rates are going to change. Um, uh, margin, uh, marginal tax brackets are going to change. And there's a lot of different things uh, extrinsically that can come and, of course, mess up the plan. But you need a plan in the beginning first and then make changes to it. That's a lot better than having no plan. A big thank you to Liquid for joining us in this conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Liquid's uh, YouTube channel and follow his blog. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Financial Independence Factor with Mo. If you find our contents valuable, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast player. You can also check out our YouTube channel, Momentum Finance Investing, for more content. See you next time.